And when we say this, the press calls us racists in reverse. With skillful manipulating of the press, they're able to make the victim look like the criminal and the criminal look like the victim. Right now, when in New York, uh, we had a couple cases where police grabbed the brother and beat him unmercifully and then charged him with assaulting them. They use the press to make it look like he's the criminal and they're the victim. This is how they do it. And if you study how they do it here, then you'll know how they do it over here. It's the same game going all the time. Monsters in our midst, Israel's descent into fascism. So let's start with uh, the, these big words, fascism, uh, Nazism. There's a prominent Israeli intellectual, Yeshayahu Leibowitz, who called uh, people, including members of the current Israeli government, Judeo-Nazis. That's uh, probably an inflammatory claim. Uh, how are we, can we document this? How would we, uh, how would we substantiate this kind of claim? Well, Yeshayahu Leibovitz is no longer with us. The late Leibovitz um, was part of the early generation of Israelis. And things have gotten really extreme recently, but he saw how some of this was developing since the Kibya massacre of, 1850, of, yeah, of 1953. And I mean, there's been a real mythology about Israel in the West, but during the Suez crisis, there were very large Israeli massacres, both in Rafah and in Khan Yunus. This face of- Israeli, Israeli troops massacring Palestinians in Rafah and Khan Yunus, which are cities in, in Gaza. In the Gaza Strip. In the fourth segment, we'll go into sort of what the Gaza Strip is. But what needs to be clear, Leibovitz was an Orthodox Jew, uh, an Orthodox Jewish thinker. This was not a critique of religion. But there are in many traditions these sort of, I don't know, politics of hate that emerge. And through all the lies, we have to understand that at this point, the most extreme version of what Leibovitz was talking about sits in the Israeli Knesset. So when you have people, I mean, it's just, it's on record. These are open sadists who celebrate Palestinian death. When you have people like Itamar Ben-Gvir, people like Betalel Smotrich, these are Kahanists. Um, we'll, we'll come back to who Mayor Kahana is, but like that anybody is taking any of these lies from the Israeli diplomatic corps seriously is willful blindness at this point. The problem is that since, the, the, the truth is that the defeat of the Nazis was an extraordinary blow dealt to white supremacy. Quick on the heels of that came real, like epochal anti-colonial victories in Asia and then in Africa. And white supremacists have sort of to some extent been on the run. There's something about the way that hate has been developing in Israel where last year we lost one of the most internationally renowned Israel-based scholars of fascism. Zev Sternhelf passed away. But before he passed away, he said this, or wrote this rather. He warned that the Israeli right is much worse than the European nationalist right, which is wary of displaying open racism and anti-Semitism, lest it be accused of fostering an ideology akin to Nazism. Here we have no such problem because, hey, we're all Jews, and who would dare accuse a Jew 
of approximating the kind of Nazi ideology that preceded World War II. Leibovitz, for one. And when it comes to the Kahanists who celebrate Palestinian death, more and more people. Recently, an Israeli television show satirized the most open Kahanist in the Israeli Knesset, who in the Knesset has defended Kahana by name. These are fascist politics that have been described as such by mainline Jewish organizations in, say, North America since Kahana began to attack Black people in the 1960s, since he began to train hate squads to abuse and kill Palestinians. In any case, uh, last month in Israel's leading Israeli daily newspaper, or rather, I mean, we'll, we'll return to its leading one. This is a Tel Aviv daily Haaretz, which is quite, you know, has quite a profile. Rogel Alfer wrote a piece entitled Judeo-Nazis in Primetime, right? These people, we need to again repeat, in all sorts of religious traditions, people can seize on a particular phrase and create hate out of it. This is not Judaism. This is in Meir Kahana, and I'll quote in more detail later, someone who says, it's a mitzvah to hate. This is an open ideology of racist hate. I mean, almost yeah. explicitly. I wanted to jump in just to give you an India parallel. Uh, I Please, like got a lot RSS out of this. Or... Yeah, I got a lot out of this book, um, 1857, India, India 1857 by Amarish Mishra. It's like 1500 pages or something. But towards the end of the book, he says something like, um, you know, India is, you know, he describes his idea of what India is. And he, he's like, it's Hindu and it's Muslim. It's syncretic. It's, you know, it's religious. Um, people believe in God. Uh, he, he's like, he doesn't call the religion Hinduism. He calls it Sanatan Dharma. And he's mm -hmm. like, Sanatan Dharma is monotheistic. Um, it's not polytheistic the way people think it is. And he says, it's, um, he's like, people who are anti-Muslim are enemies of the nation. And he's like, um, he has this thing where he's like, fascist, like the RSS, the Hindutva uh, ideology is not it's fascist and fascists are always atheists which is a really interesting point because you just you, like i've been thinking about that a lot and in the context of of israel it also applies right like it you and, know and i mean people the, somebody the, the says the distinction this, between yeah. the secular and the religious ideas are significant we've been reading yeah. stuff by like robert sapolsky there's a lot of evolutionary biologists out there and i don't want to get too sidetracked but the way that um the way that human compassion or human tendencies towards hatred and sadism can, in the right social circumstances, find ideas fitted to their purposes is extraordinary. So within the tradition of, like I, I can name Muslim or Christian or Jewish anchored or beyond thinkers who, you know, everybody is on the same side in the same sense that the same patterns across religious communities, including in an extraordinary, spectacular way right now, the Israel of 2020 can gravitate towards just sadistic hatreds. And we'll, and we'll substantiate what that means in quite some detail. And like, it'll be hard to look at, but it's sadism. I just wanted to say on that, on that religious point, like the Jewish religion, uh, somebody said this on Twitter, uh, a, a black activist that I follow, but he, he said, you know, Jewish religion is fundamentally about monotheism. That's what it's about. There's only one God. There's, that's the, you know, that's the 
that's what Judaism brought to the world, you know, the Thomas Cahill book, The Gifts of the Jews, right? And what they're, what the, you know, the fascists in Israel are about is definitely not that. That is, it is not about, uh, you know, one God. They are worshiping uh, something else for sure than that. And in, in Montreal, we have a scholar, Yaakov Rabkin, who, um, is very anchored in centuries, in like, you know, the last several centuries of, of sort of mainstream rabbinical commentary and Jewish theology, which, which frankly, like, I'm not entirely ignorant of it, but we're not. But what he points out is that what you see in Israel is a latching onto scripture and a set of political and theological patterns much more closely resembling um, the Protestant settler colonial ethic that developed through the settler colonialism of the sort of, you know, Puritan in New England slaughter of indigenous people, which, which again will compare the very striking similarities between the worst of the Puritan anti-indigenous racists and let's say Kahana. And what we do know is the Anglo settler politics. And these are them at their worst to a T. So I'll just maybe before setting Althair aside, say that his point was when Ben Gvir, who I, I just want us so that people have a slight idea. We'll go back to Kahana. Kahana openly preached the infliction of pain and death on Palestinian civilians indiscriminately. He was a US white backlash activist in the 1960s who then moved to Palestine and armed people to kill Palestinians and said that's what he was doing. And he's not like a, he's not just like, it's not some kind of pathology. He, he had a well-developed ideology about they why it was do, necessary for Israel to survive and succeed. This is what we have to do. And there's no point in having any, you know, being squeamish about it. I mean, to be perfectly honest, I, I confess that when it comes to a Ben Gvir or a Kahana, when it comes to the Ku Klux Klan lynchings that would mutilate black people for picnics or to Nazi activities, I, I think the way in which hate develops a momentum of its own in addition to the rational political calculations of power that gave rise to it is complicated for me. And I think, for example, right now in what we're seeing in Israel is a sadism and a celebration of Palestinian pain that moves above and beyond the strategic, which for example means that the Israeli government right now is trying to do its traditional whitewashing to the West while in new ways, you know, even John Oliver in his segment had that like before after apartment complex thing where they're just like, look at how we destroy these things. Like there's a, an attempt to present and sensationalize a la Lynch's picnic in Old Dixie, the killing in Gaza, which I, I don't mean to diminish its sort of colonial rationality, but we'll get into what this means yeah, in terms but, of and, the reveling in hatred. But this is why, you know, you're, we're using these parallels of Nazism and uh, fascism. I know, you, you know, I'm not a fan of Hannah Arendt, but I believe it was Hannah Arendt who talked about how these fascisms kind of burn themselves out because they they get it's it's 
politics is about building coalitions. Ultimately, it's about um, you know creating a a group of people that has a common agenda can that can do common things. And if you are too fascist about it, uh, you you can't hold that together, and you can't get things done, and you reject science, and you reject a sensible assessment of what your allies can do, and what you can do, and what your enemies can do, and you get kind of drunk on on all of these irrational, um, hateful ideologies. And, and, and people really, I think, need to understand, as all who really fixate with hatred on the memory of the Nazis do, that um, fascism, it, it, like there, there's a Western, there's a way that the fact that um, allied Western powers that spent much of their histories inflicting racism. In this moment, during World War II, actually their enemy was a worse racist. True. But the way that's been milked is not reflective of genuine anti-fascist memory. And it's just the case that all, like, there were, um, in the 1930s, people who sympathized with fascist movements. So I mention this because Hannah Arendt, alongside Albert Einstein and others, were among those who wrote in the late 1940s describing the, you know, the Irgun and Menachem Begin, who by the way right now would be considered like centrists in Israel um, as fascists. Now we can use the terms lightly. We, I'm, I really want to stress that like, I don't judge harshly people who, if they organize a demonstration in a European or North American city and the police come and smack everyone over the head or something. And you're like, what are you guys doing? You're fascists. Okay, fine. I actually don't think that's a problem, but we might need new words. And that's why we sort of open on this Judeo-Nazism thing, which again, is Libra, it has nothing to do with Judaism. It has to do with a particular distinctive celebration of hatred and sadism of the sort that a Kahan or a Ben Gvir model. All right, so hatred and sadism. Let's, let's talk about So I'll just, again, set this aside and say that um, when Ben Gvir comp complained that the Israeli television show compared him to the Nazis, um, Rajal Alfair said, look, beyond this dispute, this was last month in Haaretz, um, lies the shadow of Judeo-Nazis, a term coined by the philosopher Yeshiahu Leibovitz and used by others in turn. And he said, Ben Gvir has no moral right to protest in the name of the Jews who died in the Nazi Holocaust, the Palestinians do. This is a position that's mainline right now, though no you know, outspoken advocates for the Palestinian freedom struggle um, Meretz, the center-left political party, has people like Zah Zahava Galon, who last wrote week, excuse me, last month, or maybe it was in two months ago, anyway, wrote a piece called We Know the Road to Treblinka. It needs to be stressed that when scholars of fascism in Israel, like Zev Sternhal, say that this is a menace that is more advanced and vicious than its counterparts in North America and Europe, this is not just rhetorical flourish. And also, you know, the the pervasiveness of this parallel historically in the Israeli discourse, I just want to emphasize it because people, you know, in the in the taboo, you know, the taboo minefield of like trying to talk about it in, in North America, they say, you know, anytime you compare uh, Zionism to racism or anytime you can make any comparison to the Nazis according to the IHRA definition of anti-Semitism that is anti-Semitism so um, it's like there the IHRA definition of anti-Semitism 
would call anti-Semitism much of mainstream Israeli discourse, a great deal of Jewish scholarship and discussion of the issues over, over decades, and like lots of what people, uh, mainstream <laughs> prominent in Israelis are saying in every newspaper uh, on an ongoing basis. And there's an Israel and the wider West link there. The Israel link is the, you know what I mean? That like, I, I think it was, a, it, it was a, a Jewish member of Knesset and the joint list who was beaten up last, last um, month by police in the uh, Jerusalem protests. But the, the way that it's going, th th there's no question. The attacks are on Palestinians from this, you know, this, this beast that's developing in Israel this extraordinarily racist set of social forces. But they also really want to treat Jewish dissidents as traitors. So for example, Zev Sternhaus house was fired, but what was pipe, excuse me, pipe bombed by the Israeli right a few years ago. So to say that the people whom they're calling Nazis can't be called Nazis because that's anti-Semitic is basically to say, we quietly in our sanctimonious Western hypocrisy sort of agree that the rising fascist right in Israel has a right to treat these people who are the mainline scholars of fascism as traitors. You're basically agreeing that these are traitors. Like it's just, it's an extraordinarily irresponsible position. Um, the other point is that it actually links fairly directly to, I don't want to say Holocaust denial, but the way that the, um, and incidentally, this is all like Paul Hambrink has a very good book, uh, The Spectre of Judeo-Bolshevism or something to that effect. Harvard University Press, you know, not a raving leftist. Um, the way that Western power has tried to regain moral confidence after World War II and rehabilitate like the white, I mean, the Western fighting pride type thing. In Germany, what that meant is trying to externalize Nazism as an Asiatic thing. This was a huge thing in the 1980s in Germany. It's this, we, we were almost Asiatic in our viciousness. White supremacy loves to like push onto its targets, its own vices. So what's happening is this game of being like, you know what, actually white supremacists, we weren't the anti-Semites. The anti-Semites are the, are the brown people, are the black people, are these Arabs, are these Muslims. This is classical white supremacy as we'll return to. This deflectionism, this projectionism. So do you want to talk a bit about the particular expressions of sadism in uh, Israeli culture that also- Yeah, we should. It, it, it's it's gonna be point. grim, but we, we right. sort of must. Um, again, in the fourth segment, we'll talk about the basic history that you can fit Gaza, et cetera, into. But just in terms of the brutality, this century, what Israel has accomplished um, is horrific. In the 1980s, when Palestinians rose up, uh, it was extraordinarily contentious when uh, videos circulated in the West of Israelis breaking the bones of Palestinian demonstrators, like just like crushing the bones of youth. And there was a big, I forget, if it was, I forget which American network covered it. When the Israelis in 2002, maybe 2001, but I think 2002, might've been 2001, began to strike Palestinian buildings with F-16s and helicopters. You converting a policing issue, like you're not just smashing them, it's slaughter like we're seeing this week. 
No less a dove than Cheney said it was a problem. Biden, incidentally, criticized Cheney from the right, saying Israel should be given a free hand. So fast forward to the Israeli massacre in Gaza in 2008, 2009. And it was was horrifying to anybody who cared about anything because the Israelis in a new way, it was described in the military literature, advanced behind a rolling wall of fire, just moving in and killing. We talk about this as incidental. Can you call up the picture that uh, of the t-shirts that circulated in the Israeli army after Operation Cast Lead, after the 2008-2009 slaughter in Gaza? Yeah, I'll just gonna... say, because people are listening as well as watching the video, gonna... t-shirts circulated. I mean, a number of them. Some said, like, ha- had a child in the rifle sight saying, uh, the small- smaller they are, the harder it is. But this one has a rifle sight on the belly of what's represented as a stereotypical Muslim Palestinian woman with one shot, two kills. Ayelet Shaked later talked about Palestinian children as little snakes. Like this is, the Israeli government doesn't like this incidentally as concerns Hasbara, like they would rather have a cleaner international face than this, but this is the politics. So in 2014 then, current Israeli defense minister, Benny Gantz, then chief of, uh, chief of staff of the Israel Defense Forces, carried out an operation in Gaza in which more than 550 Palestinian children were killed. So that sort of mechanized killing, people can hide behind plausible deniability. But to get a sense of the sadism in the Knesset of 2021, I'm going to turn to a story from 2015 of what people who know US racist history will recognize as basically like the worst sort of Ku Klux Klan firebombing. Give me a moment here, it's over here. The New York Times reported this firebombing in the West Bank as follows. Residents of this Palestinian hamlet still awake on a hot summer night heard the screams and rushed to the Dewebsha household. Outside Sa'ad 23 lay writhing on the ground Nearby, his wife, Riyam, 27, was still on fire. Their four-year-old son, Ahmed, could be heard crying inside the burning house. And his brother, 18-month-old Ali, was already dead. Now, the New York Times went on to quote a neighbor who said, I'll just quote the Times again, two witnesses said they saw two masked men outside the house watching as the family burned. The hardest thing for me was that there were two burning people on the ground and two people were just standing over them, said a neighbor, Ibrahim Dawebsha, who like many in this Palestinian village shared a common last name. They didn't even care that the child was crying inside. So the child was the four-year-old Ahmed, Ali, the 18-month-old toddler, having been killed in the firebombing as his parents writhed outside burning. Several months later, rather several weeks later, the, the, the parents succumbed to their burn wounds and died. And uh, Itamar Ben-Gvir, who is currently in the Israeli Knesset, um, on the right flank of uh, Benjamin Netanyahu's electoral coalition, was at a wedding in which, as the Times of Israel recently reminds us, do you, do you have the, oh no, you, yeah, I'll, I'll get you to call up the, um, the Monsters in Our Midst, which is the sort of title of this, this series in a moment. But at this wedding, a dance where, again, Itamar Ben-Mikvir was present. A dance was filmed in which uh, the participants in this dance stabbed 
a photo of the 18-month-old child who had been killed in a firebombing. Itamar Ben-Gvir represented a, the, one of the, I think, younger of the suspected firebombers who can be shown- Meaning off- as the lawyer? Yeah. Like he was their lawyer? Okay. Yeah. Um, and you can see like all these guys, the one, all of them like grins ear to ear, all of these suspects. This is, this is a celebration, you know, they're heroes. Um, not heroes, of course, to everybody. Can you call up the article from Yediot? So Yediot Achrenot is the leading circulating Israeli daily newspaper. And this gives a sense of sort of, again, the sorts of people we're dealing with. The monsters in our midst, it reads, um, the headline reads. And what this is, is so, so Ali and Ahmed's parents have been killed by firebombing with the right flank of the current Israeli Knesset um, representing the murderers or one of them, one of the suspected murderers. I, I didn't follow the case precisely in any case. This is then what Hussein Dawebsha, their grandfather faced when he went to the court for the smiling firebombers trial. The, the Yediot story, the monsters in our midst reads, where is Ali burned? No more Ali, dead burned, on the grill, on fire. These are the jubilant jeers that welcomed Hussein Dawebsha this week as he was heading into the Lod district court. His grandson, 18 month old Ali, was burned to death in the terror attack in Duma. And I mean, this, this author is just joining and saying, you guys are talking about educating these people out of, out of hatred? This like one fights Klansmen. These are sadistic Klansmen. And I don't, I don't know what sort of words can get through. Like incidentally, the bloody, the Globe and Mail, Canada's leading daily newspaper, <laughs> took the occasion of this slaughter in Gaza to run day after day on its front page a story by an ex-Kahanist, um, which was just a total lie piece. It was just like, the game was this old, like people will know this Golda Meir, oh, they, the worst thing the Arabs did is made us kill them. Um, it's like, it's this, what has Israel become? So people worry, can say, oh yeah, what has Israel become? And they can read this, this piece by Yossi Klein Halevi, an ex-Kahanist. Um, saying, oh, it seems that Israel's maybe succumbing to the hatred around us. Like, this is, this is anti-racism 101. I mean, in Canada, Desmond Cole is one of the principal writers who gave voice to the anti-racist reckoning of 2020. And like, this is, this is the game, right? Like, you project your own vices onto your enemies. This is what it has always been. And you're saying, like, it, it, it's like saying, oh, isn't it terrible that the valiant, <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll leave that comparison aside, but this is what all of the worst racists have done in the world. It's not as if the Puritans in killing indigenous people didn't, when they killed worst, depict them most ferociously. It isn't as if there were ever clan lynchings that weren't combined with horror stories of what the uppity Negroes had wrought on white civilization. This is how it plays. And whether it's the clan analogy, whether it's the Leibovitz's discussion of the Judeo-Nazis, I don't know what words can make it through, but we are arming and providing diplomatic cover to open sadists who are reveling 
in the destruction of Palestinian life. Thank you.